it okay if I do a little teaching this morning? That's kind of how this message, I think, will, will come off. This is a teaching moment on this word called repentance. I want to introduce that word today. Uh, if there's been any confusion about it, I hope we can settle some things today. We've talked about punishment. We have talked about restoration. And last week, we said this, there can be no restoration without repentance. It's impossible to restore someone until there's a, there's a repenting that is done. And so that is the message for today. And we're going to do a little what if, if that's okay. So I'm going to read you one verse of Scripture. I'm going to trust that you'll go there with me and you won't read ahead. It's not a verse of Scripture that gets preached about very much. And in reading this, I will say I am so grateful that God does not edit the Word of God and take out the difficult stories. I'm glad he doesn't take out all the, the issues of sin and just pretty this thing up for us. But he gives it to us kind of raw, just like we are sometimes. And so I want to read one verse. I am in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse, and I want you to decide on what you would do if this happened at this church. You got the assignment? What would you do? Not what your neighbor would do, what people down the street would do. What, what would you do if this happened at this church or your church if you're watching? Here's what it says. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Wow. That's serious. Wait a minute, what did, you, what did I just read? What, what did I just find out about the church? I found out that someone has stolen his father's wife. He is having an affair with his stepmother. Y'all didn't know the Bible talked about some of that stuff, did you? This is a man who has run off with his stepmother. What would you do? Not what you're supposed to do, but what would you actually do? Would you get on the phone and go, oh, oh, did you hear what old so-and-so has I knew there was something about him. Would you get on the phone and tell everybody you knew, call everybody in church just to make sure everybody knew? Would, would you call me? Say, Pastor Kevin, we got a problem. And, and I don't know what you're going to do about it, but you better fix it. Because let me tell you what has happened down at the church house. Would you call me and want me to fix it? Would you say, oh, we got to get rid of them. Like, I don't know, I don't know where they're going to go, but they got to they get out of here. We can't have that kind of stuff up in the church house. So you're going to have to leave. I don't know who's going to tell them to leave. But, but they need to leave. Uh, would you look at that and go, Lord, if they're going to sit in this church, they ain't going to sit near me. And would you find a place away from them to make sure that no one else associated you with that situation? Or would you just absolutely go, mm, I don't know what to do about that. Guess I won't do anything. And just kind of let it ride. And go, mm, I'm just going to kind of try to act like it's not there. Maybe it'll go away. So here we have a situation. 
And that's actually one of the reasons why this letter of 1 Corinthians is, is being written, as Paul's writing this first letter to the church, is that he realizes there's a situation, and they're not handling it in a good way. Here's how they try to handle it. Right. Verse 2, you have become arrogant, and you have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. In verse 6, it says, your boasting is not good. This church had gone to an extreme of what I would call unsanctified mercy. Now, there's two ways you can handle this thing. You can handle it by way of the law, and you can take him out in front of the street, and you can stone him. There's people that like to do that. But this church has gone to the opposite extreme, and they're making a mistake that is equally as bad, which is they've actually started bragging and saying, you know what, we can tolerate a lot of things down there at the church house. Like, we can, we, we can tolerate a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of stuff can go on, and we can still love people. In fact, man, we got this guy down there that's some stuff going on. If I told you about it, ooh, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. But, but we can tolerate that kind of thing. We're, we're, we're good with it. It's okay. We're just going to keep loving people. We're going to love. For a pastor who really wants a church that loves well, I pray to God that when we say we just need to love people, that you know the depths of what that means. I pray that we know the depths of what that means. Paul writes this letter, and he starts a confrontation. You cannot have repentance without a confrontation. You will either be confronted by God, you will be confronted by someone who cares nothing about you, or you'll be confronted by someone who genuinely loves you. But repentance requires a confrontation. We cannot minimize things that are going on and act like there are no consequences. Because I can tell you that a person who is in sin, who is doing things out of the will of God, they are moving not from to life, but they are moving toward death. And it is going to kill them, and it's going to kill relationships. It could kill their family. It, it, it kill the church. And so we never want to act like someone can sin and there'll be no consequences. Sin carries its own consequences. But they said, we're just going to kind of overlook this thing. And Paul writes to them and says, no, you're not. No. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not going to overlook this thing. And so he, he initiates this, this confrontation and I wonder sometimes if we are too afraid to initiate that kind of confrontation. Even with our own children, are there times where we know we need to address something? But we can't bring ourselves to it because it's a, a confrontation and we know it's going to be tough and, and we don't like tough things. You know, as humans, we try to avoid the, the tough things. And so rather than deal with our kids, we just kind of let it ride. Or that thing with our spouse, we just kind of let it ride. Or that thing with the church, and we just, we just kind of let it ride. And I think it has to come down to this. Are we more concerned with how sin of other people affects us? Or are we legitimately concerned about how that sin affects everybody around us? Even the one who's doing the sinning. We need to think about that for just a minute. Let's try to unpack that. I wonder if we, don't, we do or don't do whatever it is simply by how it affects us. 
So if sin affects us in a negative way, then we want to get rid of the negativity that it affects us by. And so we, we try to do something. But if we think that we can just let it ride and we don't have to do something, we're more than comfortable doing that. Why? Because we don't actually care what sin is doing to other people. Where is that man's father? You don't, you don't do that and there not be problems with dad. But apparently the church is not addressing the issue with dad. You know dad and that son are having some issues. They're probably not coming to Thanksgiving dinner together. It's creating problems within the family. It has to. This kind of situation can't help but do that. And they're like, you know what? It ain't my business. And Paul writes and he says, it is your business because they're part of the church of God. And then I wonder if we even care about this young man. You're like, that's his business. He can do what he wants to do. If you love somebody, you will never let them do things that are harmful without trying to help. Now, how you do it requires skill. It requires the truth. But to sit back and let someone drive off a cliff, you cannot say you love them. You just can't do it. You can say you love yourself. That you didn't want the conflict and you saw them headed in that direction. You said, I saw them going down that road. Well, Paul says, well, if you saw them going down that road, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you stop them? He gets pretty specific. He says in verse 3, for on my part, though absent in the body but present in the spirit, I've already judged him and have committed this. And as though I were present in the name of our Lord, when you assemble and I with you in spirit with the power of the Lord, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Ooh. No, he, he didn't. Mm -mm, he did not pull punches. He, wait a minute. He's delivering someone to, to Satan. What? For the destruction of their flesh so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. I'm just going to let that sit right there for just a minute. And then I'm going to go over to, follow me over to 2 Corinthians. Hmm. Over in 2 Corinthians, we find out what happens. Paul wrote this letter to the church, and he said, you have got to do something with this man. You need to either remove him, you need to bring him to repentance, you need him to be confronted with his sin. And I've already delivered him over to Satan so that Satan can, can mess with him enough that it would save his soul. Paul, Paul says, we're going after this man's soul. And even if it has to get hard for a minute, it's worth getting hard in order that we might save this man's soul. Here's what happens when the follow-up letter comes. Because I know all of you are like, I wonder how that turned out. Right? Don't you want to know? You're like, I wonder how that went. Well, here's how it went. 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church, chapter 7, verse 8. Paul wrote this. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul said, Whew, I regretted having to write that letter. I have been a pastor sometimes and said, I regret this conversation I'm getting ready to have. 
<laughs> Sometimes as parents, you have to say, you know what? I'm getting ready to regret this thing that I've got to do or say to my children. Because you start thinking about all the what ifs, right? That goes through your mind. Paul, he's, he's a man. Don't forget that. He's a human. And he's probably looking at that going, when I write this letter, this church could get mad at me and never speak to me again. Never ask me to come back. Say, you know what, Paul? We won't want anything to do with you. Paul could have lost that church. Paul could have had some problems with that family that he said those things to. So we start playing all the what ifs in our head. And you probably have too. You've probably looked at a situation and you didn't do it. Anybody can raise your hand? Like you knew you were supposed to do something. Might not have known what you were supposed to do, but you just didn't because it was easier, you thought, not to. Paul says, man, I wrote that letter and I was sorry. <laughs> I regretted it. I'm waiting to hear how this thing is going to be received by everybody. He said, but the good news is, is that it only produced sorrow for a moment. Here's what we have to always remember. It's the principle of pleasure and pain. Have you ever heard of it? It's the principle of pleasure and pain. Here's what it says. It is better to have some short-term sorrow so that you might have long-term gain. It means it would be better to pay the price right now than constantly have to pay the price throughout your entire life. Ooh, now, as parents, we know that's hard, right? Because we know that what we're trying to do is affect the way that our children will walk with God for the rest of their lives. But we know right now this thing's going to be painful. But if I skip out on my job right now, then I may end up with an adult. And as Proverbs would say, that adult causes you great sorrow. They cause you great sorrow because you couldn't bear the pain right now. And so what you decided to do was pay it long term for a long time. Help us, God. <laughs> so Paul draws him to this thing. He says, it was a sorrow that brought you to repentance. So repentance, one, is a confrontation. It is, I have got to take the person and I need to set them in front of God because something about their understanding of God is wrong. A man doing what he was doing doesn't understand who God is correctly. He also doesn't know who he is because if he knew who he was as a child of God, he wouldn't be acting like someone who's not a child of God. So we've got to confront what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself and what you believe about the truth. Make no mistake, repentance is a confrontation. And out of that, you're going to get one or two things. You're going to get someone who yields to God, or you're going to get a rebel. Because here's the other thing. You don't get to walk away from a confrontation with the truth of God, the Word of God. It draws you to a decision. Whether you know it or not, Whoever is up here preaching, when we give you the Word of God, it comes with its own invitation. We, we don't have to say a word about you need to come down to the altar. The Word carries its own invitation. And when you hear the truth, you must respond. You have to do something. And you will respond in one or two ways. You will either say, yes, Lord, and you will yield to God. 
Or you will look at that and you will make all kind of excuses and say, I don't know who that person thinks they are talking about my sin. They got sin too. (laughs) Yeah, but right now, you need to deal with what's in your life, not what's in everybody else's life. Homeboy in 1 Corinthians 5, you got a problem. And your problem is not everybody around you or the person who came and confronted you. you got a problem with you and God and the truth of his word. Danny Silk, who wrote a book that I'm going to share with you later on in the message, he said this. There's one or two things that are going to happen. You're either going to say, yes, Lord, your will be done. Or God's going to look at you and say, yes, child, your will be done. You might want to write that down. That takes some thinking. Because that's what happens every time we read the Word of God. That's what happens as we walk through life. We are either saying, yes, Lord, your will be done. I'm yielded to you. I'm going to change my life according to your will and purposes. Or you're going to say, no, God. And then God will look at you and he'll say, okay, as you wish. Your will be done. That doesn't work out, does it? Yeah, there's some people, if you don't know how this works out, there's some people that will stand up and say, don't do it, the latter. It will not work out. Yeah. So when then you yield to God, what happens in repentance is it's a turning. That's what the word means. Repentance means you are going in one direction. God is here and you are moving away from God because you're moving away from his word. You're moving away from his truth. And guess where you're headed? You're headed toward and death. Yes, because the wages of sin is death. So it's always leading toward death. But repentance is when a confrontation occurs that God loves you enough that His Holy Spirit or His Word or somebody loves you enough to draw that to your attention. Repentance is when you're going that way and goes, that way doesn't make sense anymore. That way is leading to death. And somebody turns you. And where do they turn you? They turn you to first God. Because there is no repentance without turning toward God. And then when I turn toward God, I reestablish a relationship with God so that now I can hear God and hear His truth. And then I can yield to His truth and I start walking toward God. And then this thing happens. It's called a a metanoia. That's the Greek word for uh, repentance. Metanoia. What does that mean? A transformation. A transformation. A metamorphosis occurs. I come out of this thing and I come into this thing And I'm totally changed. That's why when it comes to repentance, I'm sorry is not nearly good enough. Hmm. See, some of us have mistaken and we thought that if we said that we were sorry, that that was repentance. Hmm. You know what that is most times? Just a good reason for you to go do it again. How many abusive husbands have beaten their wives and then told them, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I love you. And you know what that gave them permission to do? Go back and do it all over again. You see, we cannot just say we're sorry, we need to repent. We got to turn. We have to change. Otherwise, you can't keep saying you're sorry if you keep doing what you're doing because nobody is going to believe you. You only have so many sorries in your wallet. It's like dollar bills. You only have so many. There's only so many times you can tell people you're sorry. 
And if you keep doing it again, sorry means nothing. Your currency just lost its weight. So repentance is more than um, sorry. Paul confronted them too. Let's bring this up and get back to Paul because we're not only looking at our own repentance, but we're looking at how to bring the people we love back to God. Uh, Paul said, I've meant you no harm. In fact, he even meant, we'll find out in a minute, he meant that young man no harm. It said he was turning him over to Satan. Why? Not so that Satan could destroy him, but so that his spirit might be alive. Paul was doing this in order that this man might be restored. That is the purpose of restoration and repentance is that we bring people back to God and we bring them back to relationship with one another. And so Paul said, I didn't mean you any harm when I, when I had this confrontation with you. He said, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance. There it is. You cannot just keep saying you're sorry. We have to turn from those things that we've done. And then verse 11, I'm going to read this to you in the, the message translation. Some of those words are, are hard for us to, to understand. Here's what it says. Paul was grateful that this church solved this problem, that they addressed it. It said it made you more alive. It made you more concerned. It made you more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, and more responsible. That's pretty good. It changed this church's heart. Now, how did they do that? Apparently, they confront this man in uh, 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Can I read you what Paul wrote to them? Wow, this is beautiful. Look at this. If you don't think repentance is beautiful, watch this. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Do you hear that? You see, when you love someone and they're moving away from God, it ought to bring you to tears. Not to gossip. Not to condemnation. It ought to bring you to tears. It brought Paul to tears. And it said, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I especially have for you. That's why Proverbs says, blessed are the wounds of a friend. But then it goes on and talks about the danger of those who use flattering words. I tell you, if somebody loves you, they'll tell you the truth. And I tell you that if you love somebody, you'll tell them the truth. And then it says, verse 5, But if any has called sorrow, he has called sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Verse 6, Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. Now, you look at that and you say, but Kevin, I thought this message series was, was about how we're not supposed to punish people. And, and then all of a sudden, he uses punishment here. Watch what happens, verse 7. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Who? The man, the man who was caught in this sin. Reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. 
He did not punish the man. He did not ask the church to punish the man in order to just get back at him. They disciplined the man so that they might forgive him so that he might be restored. Y'all, that's a novel way of doing church. That's a beautiful way of doing church. It's that you would bring discipline and correction to a person so that the end game was what? We did it because we wanted to forgive him. How many people, though, when stuff happens, they can honestly say in their heart, I did what I did so I could move them to forgiveness. We did it so we could forgive him so that he could be restored. And Paul writes in the second letter, he says, now let up. Ease up on him. Because once he's restored, there's now no more need for punishment. You, you don't have to keep adding something to it anymore. His heart's changed. It's okay now. You can ease up. Bring him back into the family of God where he's, where he's safe. Hmm. This book that I'm referring to. Here's what it says about this, this fruit of repentance. Jesus said, bring forth the fruit of repentance. We need to see some fruit when repentance comes. So we want to talk about the, the fruit. The fruit of repentance is this. The victims were protected. You see, there was a dad who had something happen against him. He may not have known how to handle this. But the church, in confronting this issue, actually protects the one who was victimized. A church has a responsibility to protect those who are weak, those who are offended, those who are hurt. The church has a responsibility to its people. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was be a part of a group that went to a young man and said, you know what, if you keep messing with women, you can't come back here. Because you cannot keep doing what you're doing. And we drew this person to a decision. And it doesn't always work out, by the way. This man in Scripture returned. The man that we talked to, I don't know if he ever returned or not. He left. That can happen. But you can't let that kind of thing go on because there's real people who are being genuinely hurt. Yeah, we're not talking about, you know, these issues that are just between you and God. We're talking about when people are hurting other people, something has to be done. So the fruit of repentance is you, you protect the people around you from the harm that others can do. And then I love this. Danny Six said, they were made powerful. Do you see how the church, after they've handled this situation, they're like, oh, man, we did the right thing. We, we protected the innocent. We restored one who was broken. Now they feel powerful with the Word of God. They, 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 they're like, oh, this thing works. <laughs> that dunamis power of the Word of God, that dynamite, they're like, it worked. Wow, and they feel powerful, but they also felt grieved because when Paul wrote to them, they went, oh, man, you know what? We weren't handling our business down there. And so they were grieved, and they were humbled, and they asked for forgiveness. They confronted their sin and the sins of the one who, who had committed this act. It requires you to be vulnerable to one another. Mm. Mm. Ooh, do we even want to talk about the word vulnerable? Because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't even want to talk about the word vulnerable. We don't want to be vulnerable. But if you're going to live in the Christian community, you're going to have to be vulnerable. Which means when you become a part of a church, you're supposed to be a part of a church 
where we enter into a relationship where we say, you know, Tiffany, we're in this church thing together, which means that if you see something in my life, I'm going to trust you that you love me enough that you wouldn't see it and just let it go on. But I give you permission, Tiffany, to, to let me know if you see something. And then we'll look at the Word of God and see if it, it really is a problem or not. Because Tiffany might could could miss something too, right? Like she didn't see it correctly. So we get into the Word and we see if that's true. And then Tiffany responds in a light manner and she says, and the same is true of me. And so we live in this community where we are open to one another. We're vulnerable that says we will let each other speak life into us. If not, we can wander off into death and no one ever turned us around. So it, it makes us vulnerable. They corrected the situation in love. That's what repentance does too. Is Repentance is also a commitment that I say, Tiffany, if you make a mess, I'll help you clean it up. <laughs> I, I tell the leaders around here, some of you may not have heard this, but I tell the leaders, I said, I want you to lead boldly, and if you make mistakes, it's okay. Because I'll come and I'll help you clean it up. And what am I doing when I say that I'm trying to create an environment in which when you make a mistake, somebody doesn't go and just point it out to you and then leave you there? That's the other thing. Sometimes when someone sees what they've done wrong, they need help getting out of it. They're like, I see it. I want out. I'm stuck. And so the church then doesn't just walk around pointing out sin and shining light on things. It also walks up to the person and say, I love you enough that I will inconvenience myself Oh, mm. yeah, mm -hmm. that I'll inconvenience myself and I'll spend time with you, maybe time that I really don't have. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll be patient with you. I'll, I'll be long-suffering with you, and I'll help you clean it up. Most of the time, people say, look, you messed up. Now you clean it up, and you let me know when it's done. Restoration. Redemption, repentance in the body of Christ says, I'll even help you clean it up. I'll walk alongside of you until we can, we can clean up the, the mess that you have. What's the fruit of unsanctified mercy? People just continue in their sin until they tear themselves apart. They tear their families apart. They tear their churches apart. They tear everything apart because sin leads to death. And as a church, if we just sit back and go, we just going to love them. You might not be loving. You might be cowardly. And so unsanctified mercy continues to let people get hurt. But punishment does something too. This punishment that... Uh, as parents, we all know what it's like, right? When we have a heart of restoration and, and then when we just wanted to, to, we were just mad. Can I just say it that way? We just got mad at what they did and we're going to get them, right? It's almost like one of the things, I'm going to spank you till I feel better. <laughs> punishment. What, what's the fruit of punishment? One is it's false power because when people hurt you, you feel disempowered, don't you? And now all of a sudden you're like, that person can hurt me, and so I need to get my power back. So how do I get my power back? The way I get my power back is I never forgive you. Because now I can hold this thing over you, and I can control you anytime I want to. 
Because all I got to do is just bring up the past. And I got you right where I want you. There are people who will not forgive because they like the false power that it brings of controlling the people around them. Paul said, forgive the man because he has repented. Let him go. What does forgiveness mean? It means to bear up, which means if you want to do something when somebody has repented, if you really want to forgive that person, you have to help them carry the weight of the problem that they created. That is forgiveness. It says, I'm going to help you bear this thing up, not weaponize it so I can control you when we disagree. And then we think that somehow it's going to make people's curb their behavior if we just punish them. It wouldn't surprise me if something like that happened in the church and I got a phone call and somebody said, uh, Pastor Kevin, what you going to do about that? What, what you going to do about that? Because if you don't do something about it, I ain't staying. Right? Because they, they, they don't want anything to do with it. We've got to punish. And so we will punish people sometimes as leaders. We'll punish people just so other people around us think we're taking this sin thing seriously. We punish people because we're afraid of what people are going to say. They're like, do you know that kind of stuff's going on there? And you didn't kick them out or you didn't do something? One of the greatest mistakes of my life, I hope I can say this real fast, one of the greatest mistakes of my life is that I, I was part of starting Horizons Christian Academy, and we had a young girl back when we had the school. She got pregnant, and there was a great deal of pressure on me at the time being over the school to punish this young girl so that everybody else, like all the other girls, what people told me was if you don't punish her, then all the other girls are going to think they can get pregnant too. Listen to that and see if that makes any sense. Like this little girl is like 13, 14 years old, something like that. And you think the life she's getting ready to live is going to be appealing to somebody else and they're going to want to... um, No, Mm -mm. it's not like that. You know what I did? I put her out of the school. And I told her that we loved her. I told her that we loved her. That's why you need to be careful when you tell people you love them. I told her that we loved her, but we couldn't have her there because it was going to be a bad example. And do you know that that precious little thing has continued to love me to this day? She never held that against me. But she did leave the school. And one day she was working, and I got to stop by her workplace. And I just felt this thing that I needed to apologize to her. And, and, and so I asked her, I, I didn't want to get her in trouble. And I said, uh, do you have a minute? And she said, yeah, I'm on break. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Will you please sit down? And she sat down. I said, can I, can I just ask for your forgiveness? I just want to start there. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And she said, what, what do you need forgiven for? I said, I need to ask forgiveness because you remember when I put you out of school, that was the wrong decision. I did the wrong thing. I was afraid that people were going to look at me and say that I didn't take what you did seriously. What I should have done is this, is come up to you and say, you know what? I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay. And I'm going to rally everybody in the school around you to try to help you so that you can get an education, so that you don't have to drop out of school, so that you can continue and make a life for yourself and for this family. I'm going to defend you in front of everybody else to tell you that we're working with you and we're moving toward repentance and restoration. But I didn't do that. And so I kicked you out. 
and I'm sorry. And if I could do it again, I'd do it differently. And with her precious little self, she looked at me and she said, I never thought a thing about it. It's okay. So many times we want to punish people. And I'm just grateful that in that case, that was all that was. It was just making a stand against something for the sake of making a stand. It didn't have that little girl's interest at heart. It didn't have the school's best interest at heart. It didn't have the other kid's best interest at heart. It was just we were going to take a stand and show that this getting pregnant thing was wrong. It didn't help anybody. The fruit of it was no good. But praise God, I, get to, I got to go and make it right. <laughs> I want to read this. I want to read this to you. And I want to ask you what you would do. I started with a what would you do. I'm going to end with a what would you do. This is parenting right here. Parenting 101, not church 101. Parenting 101, you've got a teenager and their curfew is 12 o'clock. And 12 comes and they're not home. And one, two, three, four, five comes and they're not home. Six, seven comes and they're not home. And eight o'clock comes and they roll up in the parking lot. As a parent, what do you do? <laughs> what, what do you do? It's eight o'clock in the morning. They haven't responded to a text or a call for eight hours past curfew. What, what do you do? <laughs> listen, listen to this, this approach. The father, his son's name is Taylor. And uh, sorry, Taylor. He's going. He looks at Taylor as Taylor walks in the door and he says, uh, I need your keys and your phone. Some of you are like, yeah, that's where I was going to start, but I had a few other things in mind. <laughs> and so he lets the, the, the child go, and he doesn't talk to him because he says, I, I don't need to talk to you right now. You, you go and, and go to bed. And so the, the child uh, emerges, and uh, his hair's all disheveled. And he, he's mad, and he knows he's in trouble. And he says, that's not the kid that I want to talk to. He said, that kid doesn't have a problem. That kid is nowhere near repenting for anything. That kid's a victim. So he sends the child back to go back to his room. At 3 o'clock, the friend gets a call at the house phone. That's when you used to have house phones, apparently. Gets a call on the house phone, and Taylor is reminded that he's got a party, that a video game party he's supposed to go to that night. Now, all of a sudden, Taylor's sorry for what he's done. And now Taylor wants to have a conversation. So he's dressed himself and taking a shower, and he comes down. Why? Because Taylor wants to go play video games, right? So Taylor's getting ready to be sorry. What does the father do? I know in the past, I would look at it and go, the only reason you're down here is because you want to go to that party. Get on back up, yonder, and whatever. Yeah. But what does this man do? He says, now that's the kid I want to talk to right there. He said, because that child has hope. And I want to deal with a child who has hope. Listen to this conversation. I thought it best that I just read it to you. Hey, Dad, Taylor said, I was just wondering if we could talk. <laughs> this is what I had been praying for. I had led him out on the back patio and asked him quietly, what do you want to talk about? I, I wanted to say that I was sorry for not coming home last night. Okay, why does that matter? Hmm. Taylor looked stumped. 
uh, I don't know. I, I just thought, I mean, uh, you, you want me to come home at night. I was supposed to come home. Well, well what are you sorry about? Well, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't come home. Taylor looked confused. Taylor, I, I guess I just don't understand what you're apologizing for. My tone was calm and quiet and curious. I'm apologizing because I didn't come home and I was supposed to. Notice how he's stuck in the law. He broke a law. That's all he knows right now is he broke a law. Well, why does that matter? I don't know. I just thought it did. Well, I'm not really sure what you're apologizing for, Taylor. Taylor groaned in frustration. Why are you making this so hard? <laughs> he said, you're the one that wanted to apologize. I was just wondering what you're apologizing for. You can't even tell me why. So I'm not sure what we're doing out here on the back porch. At this point, our conversation was interrupted. The father had to leave. He comes back a, a couple hours later, and he says, Why does it matter if we're up all night worried about where you are? I pressed. Why does that matter to you? Taylor said, I, I feel like somebody in your office, and you just keep asking all these questions. Taylor, I don't understand why you don't understand what the problem is. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what to say. Do you want some help with that? Taylor paused. He said, yeah, I do. Okay, well, Taylor, I just, I'll just tell you how I experienced you. He said, I began looking directly at him. My tone was still low and gentle. I feel so disrespected and so reduced in the value of your life. It's so harmful. He said, I don't know how. That happened. I don't know how mom and I fell for like 20th on the priority list for you. But last night was an example of that. It seems like you're going to take care of 20 things before you take care of me and mom. You feel like that, Taylor said? Eyes wide? Yeah, I feel like that. Last night was just a glaring example of the value and the priority of our relationship to you. He shook his head. Well, well, that's not true. You and mom are the most important people in my life. Uh-oh, did you see the change come? Did you see it? Let me read it again. He shook his head. Well, that's not true. You and mom are the, the most important people in my life. Repentance is coming. Do you see the son? Now he's turning his heart. not from. He's turning it from his friends, from his, his, the way he took advantage of them, the way he didn't prioritize that relationship. And now he's saying, I, I love you. He's repenting. He's turning. He shook his head. Well, that's not true. You and mom are the most important people in my life. Last night was not an example of that, Taylor. Well, I'm sorry, he said sincerely. I'm sorry for being disrespectful. And that'll never happen again. Now watch this. I looked at him with a hopeful smile. That's really all I needed to hear. Do you want your phone and keys back? That one got me too. Because I think as parents, some of us would say, well, we got a repentant uh, child on our hands, but we're going to go ahead and still lay down the wood, right? We're going we're gonna to still lay down the wood because we want to make sure that, that he gets this thing right. And this parent is smart enough, I think, to know just like what Danny Silver does. He knew his child well enough to know that his child had genuinely repented. And what did he do? He said, you've repented. After repentance, there's no need for punishment again. So he hands him his keys back, and he lets him go. And I'm telling you, I read that thing a couple times. I said, did he just give him his phone and his keys back? Did he? He just gave him his phone and his keys back. 
An hour later, Taylor took off for his video game tournament, and he never stayed out all night again. <laughs> Why did Taylor never stay out all night again? You could have punished that child till Jesus came back. And if all you did was punish him because he came in late, you would have been exercising the covenant of the law and said, son, you broke a law. And when you break a law, you get punished. But this father lived under a new covenant. Mm. <laughs> and this new covenant says, I'm not as interested in the law breaking as the reason that you broke the law. Because if I can get down to the heart of why you broke the law, and I can bring some repentance to your heart, then I have proof that you'll never do it again. Oh, that's novel. That's what the new covenant's been doing with you. You kept breaking the law because you thought it was a law issue. It's not been a law issue. Your heart's been disconnected to God. He's been about 20th on your priority list. So everything you're doing is because of you. And the new covenant says, I need you to remember that I'm important and that I love you. And when your heart turns, I don't have to punish you anymore because we back together. And that's what I wanted to begin with. Mm. You know that Jesus did everything he did because the point at the end of the story wasn't to punish you, it was to forgive you. That whole point, the whole point of everything he's been doing wasn't so one day he could punish you. It was so one day he could forgive you and restore a right relationship with you. And the world would be a better place if as Christians we moved into situations where wrong was done. Not so that we could punish or so that we could just act like nothing happened. But so that we could restore fellowship and turn people's hearts back to each other. Hmm. We need repentance. 